Have you checked out VanillaSoft? It's a sales engagement platform, but what does that mean, right? Well, it means that you can stop your sales reps from cherry picking leads. It means they'll make more than just two or three contact attempts. It means you could potentially triple your sales pipeline. Check it out at VanillaSoft.com. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. This is going to be an awesome episode, a highly tactical episode. You're going to learn a ton, whether you're running a team or you're on the front lines every day. I am joined today by Jason Bay, the uh, co-founder and CRO of Blissful Prospecting. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, man. I've been looking forward to this. I'm super excited. Dude, this is exciting, man. I mean, Jason is doing some amazing things. We're going to be diving in. Jason, just a little background. If folks aren't familiar with you, how did you get into Blissful Prospecting, starting the company, and what's your background with the sales development? Yeah, definitely. So I actually started in business consumer sales. So first thing in college, my freshman year, I used to go door to door and sell house painting services. So that was back in like 2008. And I ended up working with that company in a sales management role, became their marketing director. And then around 2013, I left because I was like, you know what, I've done a lot of cool things for them. I want to help other companies with their marketing and sales. And that's how I really got into outbound was I had to do it myself, you know, to find clients. So I'm a consultant at that time did a lot of in-person networking, you know, was posting on social media and I read predictable revenue. Like I think most people have in our industry. And I was like, I need to go send emails. And I was actually one of those people that did it really terribly at first. I thought I could just get a big list and send all of these really templated emails. And slowly what I learned that year was how to really provide value and, and context in those emails, how to cold call and we started Blissful Prospecting because a lot of these companies were asking me like, hey, that was a pretty cool email. Or I liked how you reached out to me on LinkedIn. Can you do that for us? And we originally started Blissful Prospecting as like outsourced sales development and doing appointment setting for people. And then in the last year or so, year and a half-ish, we really moved more into training and coaching and consulting and working with teams that are already doing outbound, but for whatever reason, they need to kind of tighten up their processes or maybe their cold emails have 2% reply rate, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yes, definitely. Okay. So it's interesting because there's a lot of people that bash, you know, consultants are like, oh, these consultants, they come in and tell us what to do. And, you know, they, they don't, they're consulted. So, but it's interesting because you said, as you said, as a consultant, you are still doing the job. I mean, right? Well, what we talked about right as we started talking at the beginning of this, I just got done prospecting, you know, and right. making a cold call. So, um, hilarious. Yeah. So, fortunately for me, I post a lot of content and I'm on a lot of podcasts. So, I have enough people that are engaging with my stuff to where I can call them and it's a relatively warm cold call. But yeah, you got to keep the knife sharp. One of my favorite things to do, you know, last week when I was on site with a client was I just made cold calls with them you know, cause I could tell a lot of them were really uneasy and they hadn't done a lot of cold calling. And I was like, you guys, like, we just got to do this, you know, let me pick up the phone. And I, I cold called a couple of people that I wanted to prospect to right in front of them. And you got to do that. I never want to be the consultant or quote unquote thought leader type that just writes books on stuff and creates content and doesn't actually do it. This industry moves way too fast to give people relevant, like helpful information if you're not doing it. That's, I think you just hit on the main crux of the reason that there's that 
feeling or that complaint out there is because it's like, hey, you haven't done this in 20 years and you're coming in and telling us what to do. But what you're saying is you actually are getting in there, getting your hands dirty, not only for your own company, but with your clients. Yeah, you have to do that, man. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't know any other way to do it because the way that I've always managed salespeople was by what we call it rubbing shoulders, was mm-hmm. sitting next to them, making calls with them. Because I, I, I don't think it's really enough to just do call coaching all the time either. And I'm not saying you have to spend all your time prospecting if you're you're not managing <laughs> or, or leading a sales team, obviously. But once you get that out of touch, I mean, 20 years, are you kidding? Like, remember Zoom for video communication is now becoming a normal thing after the last two or three years. We used to use Skype four or five years ago. It was like weird doing a video call. So I mean, I mean, so much changes. It's so true. And so it's interesting because I think with sales development managers, it's like, as soon as you get into the management position, you're like, oh, thank God. I don't have to cold call all day anymore. <laughs> I can look at spreadsheets. <laughs> I, can just, I can just walk around bossing people around. I mean, maybe that was just me. But I, I mean, you know, there's some of that. And so what you're saying Absolutely. is if you get promoted to that position, you got to keep in there like at least a couple hours a day, right? So they, so they see you doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And big thing that, <laughs> dude, I mean, this is not like coaching basketball. It's not like John Wooden, who's this old guy. If you don't know who John Wooden is, you know, one of the most successful college basketball coaches of all time at UCLA. It's not like that where he's like this old man that can come in and, and lead a basketball team without actually really being very good at basketball himself. <laughs> you know, right. sales is not one of those things that works like that. I, I've taken stand-up comedy classes too, and I couldn't imagine taking a stand-up comedy class from someone that wasn't good at doing stand-up comedy. Like I, I wouldn't want to learn from that person. So I think wow. that I talked to this woman, Jessica, I'm actually going to be interviewing her on my podcast that's launching here next week. She said something I thought was really cool. And she said, I wish I had her last name so I could give her more credit on this. But uh, she said something about, you know, the biggest mistake that sales managers make is that when they get in the management role, they don't treat their reps like their best clients. And I was like, mm. boom, like that was really cool. And God, I'm forgetting her name, her last name too. I really because I didn't come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> we want to give her but, credit for it, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. I mean, I think you know people making that that shift. I mean, if you're going into consulting, or if you're being raised up, you know, within the organization as a manager, you know, prospecting. It's a really good point. I mean, it's shifting. It's changing. So much stuff is happening that you got to keep your. You got to stay in there at least for a couple hours a day. Let me ask you this. So we talked a little bit about there's outbound 2.0, right? And then outbound 3.0. And I think, you know, you've, you've dived into this. You're doing it with your clients. Tell us about that, that process, outbound 2.0 to 3.0. Yeah, I was doing a lot of thinking about this and like really trying to help based on this pattern that I would see in the companies that we work with. And what I found is a lot of them were doing what I call outbound 2.0, which was and it's nothing against predictable revenue. I love those guys and they don't do this style of prospecting anymore. They, they do more than this now. But when that first book first came out, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought that, hey, we could just send out these referral emails and we can really take this mass blast approach, especially through email. And multi-channel is like kind of a thing, but we can, for the most part, get away with just sending emails or just making calls. And the messaging didn't have to have a lot of context to it because 
if you were doing that at scale, there weren't a lot of people really doing that effectively at the time. And around 2017-ish, end of 2016, since it's so easy now through companies like Outreach and SalesLoft and all these other sales engagement platforms to do multi-channel, to do cadences with 10 to 15 touches, it's so accessible to so many people that with Outbound 3.0, it's really about cutting through the clutter. And you do this in three ways. So the transformation that we're that I'm really fired up about helping sales development teams make is, is one, moving from mass blast to quality and helping them deal with the challenges of essentially personalization at scale. How much do you need to personalize? What is adding relevance? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like in an email, et cetera? And this second, this move from product-centric to buyer-centric messaging, which we do through our reply method framework. And that's, man, I was just uh, doing a sales call actually with a software company the other day. And it was, their messaging was so product heavy because they were selling to technical people. What I was trying to get them to realize that, hey, regardless of the persona, these are people that have problems and you have like results that you can help them achieve to overcome those problems. And you need to really talk about the problem and the result and not be so like features and benefits focused. And then the third pillar to that is what I call making this move from taking to teaching. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of these emails, David. I'm curious actually what success you see with like call to actions, especially like the reason for a meeting, if you're just using it to take the prospect's time, can I get 30 minutes of your time for a demo? Or are you free 15 minutes next Tuesday? I've seen that like become less and less effective and, and more of a promise to teach the prospect something. Like, hey, we work with a lot of people in your industry and one thing we see them doing is this. I'd love to share with you this and two other strategies in a call. Like that type of, I can teach you something and you'll get something from your time spending with me besides me freaking qualifying you the entire time and like interrogating you. That's the third shift that for Outbound 3.0. It's so interesting. Okay, so I love that. I love all those tips. The question that I have is, you know, we're all out there, like I'm sitting here and I have like two or three business problems, you know, that I'm trying to solve and they just come up every day and yeah. I'm trying to solve these business problems. And, you know, if someone called me up and they were like, Hey, I, you know, we're working with all these different, like the last example you gave, like we're working with all these different companies and we're helping them solve these, these particular business problems. If one of those was one of the things that I'm grappling with on a daily basis, I would totally take that call. I'd be like, dude, yep. let's talk immediately. Like, just educate me. Like, what should I do? But my question is, how do you find those? And this era of like spray and pray, you know, people are just like sending out millions of emails and trying to get some kind of conversation. But what I'm talking about is it's got to be much more targeted to the person. And that's really hard to scale and do at a mass you know, a mass, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like a mass blast. You can't do that. You have to, yeah. first of all, know what that problem might be and then be able to contact that person to talk about it. Yeah. So the two parts to that question, it sounds like, so in terms of how do you find that problem? The first step is, and I'll give you some practical ways that you can do that. But the first step that I see is really like empathy. I see a total lack of empathy on most sales teams and I think that empathy for the most part can be learned and it could be a simple habit of how is what I'm about to send to this person going to make them feel <laughs> and in truly looking at the emotion, is this going to make them anxious? Is this going to make them not care? Is this going to make them excited? Is this going to make them think 
So I'm thinking about all those things when I write an email or am coming up with a talk track of what to say. And the empathy part is thinking about who is this person? We really got to go and look at like what types of problems or challenges does this person have? And there's three layers of that that I look at. And you really want to get into that third layer is where the gold is. But the first layer is you know, these account-based challenges. So we can say, if it's a B2B SaaS company, B2B SaaS companies have trouble converting, we could say marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads, right? That's a really generic, super vanilla challenge that any sales leader is going to be like, yeah, we got that problem, but that doesn't really show me that you understand like what my business is going through. And then we have the persona level challenges. And these are like, hey, if I'm a VP or director of sales, like what am I dealing with, you know, specifically? So maybe it's, when I talk to my director and they're doing meetings with their sales managers, for whatever reason, they aren't able to get their reps to hit their activity targets, right? That could be a persona-based challenge they deal with in a meeting. But where you really find the gold is in what we call situational challenges. The way that you find these is in two ways. So by doing really good discovery, and then also by doing customer interviews. Customer interviews, for some reason, people really balk at. They're like, dude, I don't want to interview our customers because we either don't want to bug them or because we just don't see the value in doing that, which is crazy to me. But instead of having a product-related discussion with a customer, I want to have more of a sales conversation with them and ask them things like, you know, why did you decide to actually take a meeting with us? What challenges were you having at that time? What specific situations were going on um, in your day-to-day that happened that made you decide to start like what created awareness around this problem? And then what made you decide to start like considering if we're going on the buyer's journey here, what the solutions might be and how did you go about researching it? So that's one way you can find it. And you can ask those same questions in discovery. So if you, I'm a big proponent of not just doing like a really heavy qualification process in the discovery. Like if you actually do true discovery, you can ask people, Hey, like what were you doing? Like what problem were you having? What task were you doing? You could get into workflow. Like what, what exactly happened that made you feel a pain point and decide to respond to my email or take my call or go to our website? That's how you find that. And the situational challenge is going to sound something like this. So I was working with a SaaS company that sells automated bookkeeping for small business owners. And it was, I was listening to this discovery call. It was awesome. The rep asked, so why did you decide to come to us? And the guy was like, well, you know, this thing always happens to me. I I go into QuickBooks and I see like the amount that is shown is in red, it's negative. And I start freaking out. And then I go to my bank account and I see there's like $40,000 in there. And it really is frustrating because I use QuickBooks to do all of my bill pay and like all this other stuff. And I can't actually run my business from a financial standpoint because what's in QuickBooks doesn't match what's in the bank. That's a situational challenge. If I can talk to that challenge, in a cold call, or one of my cold emails could address that situation, the prospect's going to be like, whoa, Jason really understands my world. So that's a really long-winded answer to your question, David. But the two things you need to do to find out these challenges in the language people use is either customer interviews or doing really good discovery and literally writing down how they talk about their pain points word for word. Most people refer to VanillaSoft as the solution. It's the solution to ensure sales reps make the right number of attempts for every lead across all channels, including email, social, and the phone. It's the solution to serve the rep the next best lead every single time. You need to get your solution at VanillaSoft.com. 
Okay, this is really interesting and love all the details. So don't worry about. Okay, <laughs> this is what we need. We need we need yeah. another stuff. So okay, so customer customer interviews and doing deep discovery. Is there a good way to capture that and be able to like analyze it? Because I know that there's a lot of tools coming out, like Gong, Exec Vision, and Chorus that help you to do that. But do you just tape them? Do you take notes? How do you really be able to take that information and then make it into something. Okay, so a couple parts there. In terms of the note-taking process, I am a big-time note-taker during sales calls. I do all of them remote. So I have my notes up in my CRM and I'm taking those notes down and I write down the quotes in the call. A lot of people, I don't know if they can, it's because they can't type fast enough but are not really capable of doing that or they can't really focus in the call as much. So if you can't do that, that's totally okay. But yeah, Gong, Chorus, ExecVision, those are all really great solutions for recording. But that's only going to get you the data, right? What do you do with, with that data and how do you keep using it? What I was working on with this company was creating a file and a workflow for sales, marketing, and product to collaborate on messaging. And this is a really hard thing to pull off internally. But what we ended up working on was I said, hey, you guys, sales is coming up with and hearing all of these really detailed ways that prospects explain their challenges. And that's not necessarily being reflected in the marketing material that you're giving them or the cold emails that you're writing for them to use. And that's a whole nother problem, right? That marketing was writing the emails for sales, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for another podcast. <laughs> but yes. um, but the, on the flip side, I was like, marketing, what you guys know really well and are really good at is coming up with these like headline one or two sentence attention grabbers that have a lot of really good data behind it and you know click through rates on ads and conversion rates and all this other stuff. Cause like you guys need to work together and share this information and product. You're hearing about all the challenges that these process when you go to onboard these people. So customer success, I guess you could throw in there. You hear all of these really great tidbits that people talk about during the onboarding process. So if you just put those in a document, it can be a Google Doc. And once a month, you guys all collaborate for an hour together. You'll be amazed at the snippets. Like when I go in and help a company, I'm not coming up with anything creative that they don't already know. I'm just helping get it out of them. They know their prospects way better than I ever will. But what I heard their prospects say and what marketing was using and what sales was using, we got all kinds of cool stuff like, hey, this prospect said, you know, I don't want to be a QuickBooks specialist. And that becomes like a line you use in an email. Hey, are you, you know, if you're tired of being a QuickBooks specialist, like here's something that you can do, right? So we get all this like really good magic from collaboration too. So that's the, that's the second part I would say of it is the collaboration and then the gathering of the data. I don't see companies have a problem gathering. Almost everyone I talk to is recording calls to some extent, at least the discovery. So you don't need to do anything crazy outside of, listen to those calls. So that's another, you got me on a rant here, David. Uh, that's another, <laughs> another thing that I see too with, with managers is they say, oh, we sit next to our reps. We don't need to listen to the recordings. And I'm like, dude, you sitting next to them, you're not even hearing the prospects end of the conversation. So you got to listen to recordings. And if nothing else, if you're very limited on time, listen to one recording each per week. Make that the bare minimum and you can help them coach each other. But you got to listen to these recordings because as a manager or director, if you're not in touch and in tune with what the prospects are actually saying and what their problems are, 
yet you were giving them advice, your reps advice on what to say in their cold emails and cold calls. Like, how could that possibly be helpful if you're not actually able to empathize with the prospect yourself? Goes back to, I love that word, that word empathy. And it's like, it's almost like a strike team, right? It's like the messaging, <laughs> the messaging strike team, you know, I love that. It's like, <laughs> we're going to get together once a month, right? And go through this Google Doc and we're going to have snippets. We're going to have the transcripts of the recordings. We're going to have all this stuff. And where you see it not happening is taking the data and making it actionable so that you can be empathetic and you can write better messaging, right? And that's the thing you should be onboarding new reps with. Hey, here's a document with exactly how prospects talk about the problems that we can help them with. Okay. Who should be leading the charge here? Because, you know, it's been a couple of years now, but when I was in the corporate world, it seemed like everybody was running in separate directions, you know, and they're all like the, you're putting this strike team together. You got SDRs, you got sales, you got marketing, you got the product team, you got CS and all of them have different goals, right? So they're all going in a different direction. Who's the cat herder here? Oh, this is a tough one because so many companies do that because we work with companies outside of tech and SaaS also, and, the, and that they do it completely differently as well. What I've seen is like a, if a VP of sales and a VP of marketing can work together on the same page, if they're the ones facilitating the meeting happening and letting like a director or a manager type person kind of run the meeting, you don't even have to have your reps show up. If the managers and directors are doing the due diligence of gathering the information from their marketing folks and their customer success folks and the sales folks, that right there is enough for them to have a really good meeting on the manager or director level together. And then they can just bring the findings back to their team. So it needs to be like, you have to have buy-in at the upper level. I've usually seen it because I'm working more on the sales side. It usually is a sales conversation first. And then that inspires marketing to do stuff that inspires customer success and that sort of thing. Got it. Okay. So, so this is a great leadership opportunity for people listening. If you, you can take yep. this mantle and run with it. So let me ask you this, the reply method, is that sort of what we've been going into, you've got a special method for getting replies from the messaging. And tell us about that. Yeah. So we recreated the reply method because I was looking at, you know, like I said, at the beginning, we were an outsourced sales development agency for a while. And part of what we were doing was having to write cold email campaigns and create talk tracks and stuff from scratch. So I started looking at everything and there honestly isn't a lot of content out there on how to write a good cold email. There's a lot of templates, but there isn't really, hey, here are the fundamentals of what that messaging should say. Yeah, and I just looked at the patterns of all the successful outreach our clients were doing and all the stuff that we were doing. And that's how we created the reply method. So the reply method is an acronym. And the first acronym stands for results. And the goal there is to really get the prospect's attention. So Asking you this, David, what's, what do you think usually, like, what's the first thing going through your head when, when you get a cold email from someone? Who is this and what do you want? Or, you know, what is this? Yeah. So it's like, Hey, what, you know what, you know what, (laughs) hold on. I'm sorry to, I didn't mean to cut you off, but as the owner of a business, it's comes down to, is this going to get me in trouble or is this going to help me make more money? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've basically divided them into two, but that's just as an owner of a business. So I, at the general level, it's probably like, who is this and what do you want? But for me, it's like, is this going to make me money or is it going to get me in trouble? But go ahead. 
Dude, I love that, man. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I'll just put it that way. Okay. So if we're applying this empathy and empathy is going to apply through this whole process, the prospects are thinking, what's in it for me? That's what everyone wants to know. When they hear yeah. from someone, they don't know what's in this for me. And all you're trying to get them to do is say, hey, this looks interesting. You're not trying to get them to say, I want to buy this. So that's not your job when you're prospecting, get them to buy stuff. It's just to say, hey, this looks interesting. So the way that you do this is in a couple different ways. The first way is, it's pretty simple, but I see a lot of people making mistakes. It's really looking at how you can share relevant case studies, social proof, success stories, that kind of thing in the messaging. And where I see a lot of people making mistakes is they'll reach out to a company that's 50 employees and they'll say, yeah, we've worked with Google and Amazon. And you're like, okay, it's not the same kind of business, right? That's impressive. But if I'm the receiving and then I'm like, wow, like we're not Google or Amazon, like you must be really expensive <laughs> and have something like really crazy that we don't need. So make sure that when you're writing these emails, you're picking relevant, preferably like same industry, same type of business, same kind of size, same type of problems, that kind of thing. The second part to this, I didn't come up with this analogy, but I don't know who did, so I can't give them credit. So I'm doing that again. But you always hear the drill analogy in sales, right? And people always say, well, people don't buy a drill, they buy a hole. And I don't think that people buy a hole when they buy a drill, because I think the hole, like me not having to spend the time of manually, like using a screwdriver or something to create the hole, I don't really think that's the reason why people buy a drill. That's a benefit. The result of that is I get to hang up my flat screen TV or I get to hang up this picture. So you got to think about what is the end result that I can help them with. So if we use that analogy earlier, or sorry, the example earlier with automated QuickBooks, it's not that we're just going to take QuickBooks off your plate. That's not the result that you help them with. If they're having problems with things not lining up and the information not being correct, what we're going to do is not only take that off your hands, but we're going to make sure the information is accurate so that you can actually spend time on running your business and doing other things that you'd rather be doing than your QuickBooks. Like that's the result. Like you need to think about that person driving the Mercedes and the commercial that has a huge smile on their face and they're driving down the road. Like what's the after picture, not the benefit. And I think people get so focused on features and benefits when they're selling products instead of the actual result and the outcome that you can help the person with. hundred percent because it's like, there's a I actually can remember the person's name. There's a guy named Dan Sullivan, who's he runs a company called Strategic Coach, and I'm giving him full credit for this. But he basically, his advice is sit down and write out A, B, and C. And A is all the things that you love to do in your job, and you would love to do all day. B, it's like, eh, you know, you'll do it, but it's, it doesn't like get you out of bed in the morning. And then there's C, which is all the things that just suck. And yeah. you would love to not do anymore. And it just got me thinking when you were talking because it's like, it's not necessarily like that, that was a great analogy. It's not necessarily the hole that you're trying to get. It's hanging the flat screen. So for, for people out there, it's not necessarily the, you know, taking them away from like the A or the B things. It's taking the C things that they just hate oh, and really getting cool. rid of those, you know, and, or trying yeah. to push more of their time into the A and B category so their life is better. And it's, it's like, that's, where, that's kind of what you're trying to do, it seems. Yeah, I love that. I love that exercise. That's a really good exercise, I think, to do in a customer interview too. 
Mm. Like, hey, what are the parts about your job that you hate doing? Mm -hmm. I know it can be kind of negative, but the interesting thing, David, is that this is all emotional things that we're talking about for the most part. This isn't like a logical, we can improve this by 11%. Or on average, it improves by, we save $1,000 per client. That's important, don't get me wrong, but we're so inundated with empty promises and people always pick the most extreme example anyways for their case studies, right? So just keep that in mind when you're doing this. So I love that. Okay, so we've got R-E- P-L-Y. So in the reply method. Where so okay. yeah, so, so E is for empathy. And the thing you want to do here is show the prospect you're one of them. We've talked about empathy a lot. So you really want to get the prospect to go from you're not one of us to you're speaking my language. So you do that in a couple of different ways. You want to talk in the language that they use. So for example, you know, a SaaS company might refer to their users as customers, consulting company might refer to them as clients, right? So little wording stuff like that in our industry is really important. But the big thing that we talked about before was those challenges. Get into those situational challenges, those quotes that you can use as much as possible and use that in your messaging as well. And yeah, like I said, we've already talked about empathy a ton. So that, those are the most actionable things that you can do there on the empathy level. Got it. All right. The P is for personalization. And really, you want to do two things here. You want to show that you're not a spammer, but really the more important thing that you want to do is show that your outreach was intentional. So you want the person to go from delete, clearly a mass outreach to, oh, it looks like this person actually might've taken the time to do their homework. And you can do this in a couple different ways. I recommend doing a lot of segmentation when you're reaching out, at least segment your messaging by persona. At a bare minimum, you got to be doing stuff that's at least industry. So don't mix together messaging across multiple industries and do your best not to mix it across personas either. So VPs should be getting different messaging from a director manager type of person versus a C-level person because they're they're working on different stuff. The other part to this is really making sure that it's really more than just the first two lines of the email. You want to find things that actually connect to your solution. So for example, like when I'm doing cold email, since we want to help companies with their outbound, and a lot of it is around like, hey, like here's a strategy that we're seeing working really well for other companies like yours. I'd love to share this along with two others. Like that approach, I really need to tie it into like what they're already doing. So an example of that is, you know, if I see a company is growing really quickly or doing a lot of hiring for BDRs and SDRs, I might reference the fact that, hey, this strategy could help you ramp your SDRs and BDRs faster. It could help them break into their ideal accounts quicker if they're able to get a hold of the right person and get them to respond. So I need to kind of tie in the messaging a little bit there and make it contextual the entire way out. And video, (laughs) although we were talking about this before the call, David, (laughs) about how we don't do a ton of video for content. Video and prospecting, I do a lot of though. Uh, and it okay. works really effectively. Yeah, um, okay. That's yeah. how I got on this podcast too, was, it was sending yes. you a video. <laughs> <laughs> nice story job. of my life with podcasts, man. Nice um, job. Nice <laughs> job. All right. <laughs> so that's the personalization piece. The laser focus is, is pretty straightforward. It's, hey, get to the point. People don't have a lot of time and your email needs to really be like 120 words or less if possible. So three to five sentences is ideal. Voicemails, less than 30 seconds. Your opening of a cold call should be 15, 20 seconds if possible. And you need to be really, really clear with your call to action. So you shouldn't be asking a prospect in a cold call or through a cold email, 
like multiple different things. It should just be an ask to learn more. It could be an ask to check out this case study or check out this piece of content. And the way that I look at it is if what I'm about to say or write in this email doesn't help them, you know, help us empathize with him or talk about a result that we can create, we need to get rid of it. So chop it down. Grammarly is a really good tool that I recommend for emails that'll help you be a little shorter and conciser, more concise, excuse me. And then lastly, the you is for why, or the why, excuse me, is for you. (laughs) And it's for being you oriented. So making the prospect the hero instead of your product. So the prospect needs to go from like, dude, I get it. You guys think you're really awesome to this could really help me. So you really need to talk more about the ways that you help your, your customers and your clients win versus why your product is really like awesome. I love it. So make it all about not you. It's not about you. It's about you, the person that you're reaching out to. Yep. Okay. Got it. All right. So we got relevant empathy, personalization, laser focus, and you reply. Okay. Yep. Got it. And we have a landing page. You have a link that we could put in the, in the show notes to help us get there. Yeah. So uh, we went reply method. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you're listening to this in the gym or you're driving or whatever, we just talked about a lot in the last like 15 minutes. And I put together a one page cheat sheet with all the stuff I just went through that you can use as a reference when writing your emails or put together your talk tracks. And you can find that at blissfulprospecting.com slash sales development and then sales developments without any spaces. Nice. Okay, cool. So, and is that the best way to get in touch with you. I'm sure that people are struggling with a lot of the stuff that we have covered here. Jason, this is, I've got two pages of notes. I'm sure that they're going to have tons of notes. How do we get in touch with you? What's the next step? Yeah, that's the best way to like look at our content for free. You're going to get on our email list that way. I send a couple emails out each week with really actionable tips on how to send better cold emails, make better cold calls, how to personalize better, that sort of thing. And it'll also have a way that you can connect on LinkedIn. I post content every day on LinkedIn about outbound sales. And then if you're a little further along in the process and you want some help with this, we, we do training, workshops, coaching, that sort of stuff. Just reach out to us through the website at blissfulprospecting.com and more than happy to chat with you. That's perfect, man. This is some great actionable advice. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge with us. If you haven't, everybody go over to blissfulprospecting.com and download that information, reach out to Jason, and we'll have you again soon. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.